trusting God. Do um, you ever wrestle with that trust? Anyone out there? Am I the only one who wrestles sometimes with that trust? Or have you ever had a moment when, when God puts something on your heart and uh, to do or to say, and, and you think, uh, no thanks, God, I, I don't want to do that? We are one body, family. That's our, our topic for today. And uh, all week, as I prepared the message for today, I just had this, like, nagging feeling. If I'm honest, the feeling actually goes back to when first sort of put together this sermon series. Every, every sermon goes from an idea to sort of some, idea, some, some thoughts and, and scripture um, work that goes into it, and then it begins to form. And, and this sermon was, was no different. Every sermon goes through lots of, of revisions before I share the words that I share on a Sunday morning. But this week, this week was something different. Usually I, I sit down late in the week, Thursday, Friday, and I, and I sort of draft out what I'm going to say on, on Sunday morning. It's been, it, been at work in my head, and so it's ready, and I just put it on paper, and then I'm ready to deliver it on Sunday. But this week I started on Thursday, and I, I wrote a couple of drafts, and then I picked it back up on Friday, and I wrote draft, and another draft, and then I picked it up yesterday, and I wrote a draft, and a draft, and a, and a draft, and it just, I just wasn't there. It just, the problem was in, in every single draft, I just got stuck about a halfway or two-thirds through. And I knew there was something on my heart that I, I wasn't sure I wanted to share today. Because when you're in seminary, you're, uh, you're taught not to like inject yourself into the sermon. Now, you can use a story from your own life or, or experiences that you've had, but, but it's important to pay attention to this line so that the sermon doesn't become about you. And this thing that was on my heart, I'm like, it's too big, God. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not ready to share this. I think it's just going to get in the way of the message this morning. And yet, by yesterday, this thing is just weighing on me, and I've written draft after draft. And it, I just get to this point, I just got to about halfway through, two-thirds of the way through, and I, it just wasn't there. Like, God wasn't speaking in these words, and I didn't know what to do. And so by the afternoon yesterday, like I'd hit that point, I just slammed the computer closed, which I know isn't very patient or very spiritual. Um, I think Cheryl saw me a couple times and probably wondered what on earth was going on. And then I'd, I'd pause and I would pray and I would come back to it. I'd keep kind of the core biblical words and then, and then try again. At 9.31 last night, <laughs> I sat down. And, and I, I knew, and by the way, this is awful sermon writing 101, if anybody's thinking about being a pastor. 9.30 at Saturday night, not the time to do it. At 9.31 last night, I sat down, and I'm like, I have to get something out of my head onto paper, so I'm ready to say something tomorrow. And cursor was there, and so I just typed the first word in my head, and, uh, and I typed honesty onto the screen. I don't know why I chose the word honesty. It's just, it was the first word that popped into my head. And I stared at that word and I thought, I've got to share what's on my heart. And I, 
I don't know. I'm just going to lay it out there to begin this morning. I don't know if this is me or if this was God telling me to be honest, but I, I just knew in that moment that I, I needed to take the risk that, that my story might get in the way for a moment today by sharing the very thing that I was trying to shield from this message. You see, as a pastor, you are my church family. I am so blessed to be part of this Clay church family now for my eighth year. Such an incredible blessing to be in ministry beside all of you. I count every day in that ministry is blessed, and I love you. And, and I know that sometimes I don't live that out fully, and for those times, I hope you'll forgive me, but I hope you know, please know that I love every one of you that are part of this amazing community of God's love. Over the last two years, a number of people have have left this worshiping community, have left Clay Church. And it feels I cried in the first service. I promised I wouldn't this one. It feels like part of my family has left. Maybe some of you feel the same way. Some of them have just left without saying anything. And some of them have left after telling me how they disagree with me. And it hurts. It's, it's the pain of, to be honest, of losing something you love on my best days. On my best days, I know that I can't control what people do or whether they leave or not, and, and on my best days, I feel such encouragement of this congregation, and, and I know that I've been diligent in my Bible study and try to be faithful to God, and that's what matters. I know that. And then on most days, that, that grief, if any of you have experienced grief, it's grief. That grief has just sort of like been there below the surface, and I just find myself hoping that that nothing pulls it up because I don't want to deal with it on those days. And on my worst days, on my worst days, the pain and the, the hurt are just almost too much to bear. Yesterday, as it drudged all that up, it was one of those days because the grief that I felt and the pain has led me to ask again and again, what does it mean to be the church family. What does it mean to be a church family? If we can't disagree yet stay in loving relationship, what does that, what does that mean for the church? For, for Clay Church, yeah, but, but even more so for the church, God's church in the world. I fully understand that there are reasons to, that people leave church communities. I mean, it, it happens. It happens all, all the time, right? I mean, there, and there are good reasons. There, there's, 
there's times when churches have abandoned the, the mission. They've caved in on themselves and are only caring for themselves. They've, they've abandoned the mission of walking with more people. And so people have, have left and leave because they need to find somewhere that is, that is true to God's mission. And there are times when, when people just feel, feel like it's time to express their spiritual gifts in different ways. And that connects with, with other communities. And, and there are times when, when people just don't feel cared for by the by the leadership of a community or by a community, and they need, to, need that spiritual care. I, I get all of those reasons. But no one has said that we were failing or that I was failing in those ways. And, and our mission and our, our vision and our ministries, rich and, and deep, particularly in this time of COVID, are as, are as vital and important to this community and ev- as ever. And so it, it just hurts. It hurts because I love you. And we all feel this pain. And it hurts because I love those who have left. I hurt for the church. And all of that is, I lay all of that out because Because if today's message is too influenced by my feelings, I think I just want to apologize in advance. And, and more so just to say that today's message, today's sermon, it's, it's a labor of love for the church. It's a labor of love asking this question, my own personal search. I hope our search, it's a question, what does it mean to be the church family in the world as we find it today? So uh, I should probably say before I pray, if you're a guest with us today, I don't pray every week. The people around you can tell you. Occasionally, sure, not every week. So let's dive into that question. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to your word this day. Speak to us and move us. And Father God, where, where necessary, where, where I get in the way, speak either through me or speak around me, but remind all of us by your word who you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's, let's dive in with the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you want to turn there in your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Acts 2, 42 to 47. I just want you to hear, I just want you to hear these words, this expression of the early church. It says, they, meaning the followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that just like, isn't that an incredible, beautiful image of the church? 
Like people coming together, people committed to each other, people breaking bread and enjoying meals together and this, this fellowship that's full of life that other p- people want to be a, a part of and, and God adding to their numbers daily. Like, isn't this an a, amazing, beautiful vision of the church? Which leads me to want to ask kind of two questions. One, one is this, quite often we, the church, we, we take a single verse of scripture and and sometimes we even pluck it out of context, and then we want to apply it to, to our lives and to everything. But for whatever reason, these five verses, we don't take these five verses in their context. This is the very first expression of the church as, as Jesus planted it among his followers through the Holy Spirit. This is the first expression, and yet we don't take it and say, this is exactly who we're called to be, or at least we don't live it out that way. Why is that? Why is it that we can take one sin and a list of sins in a, in a pagan, in pagan rituals and say, well, that applies to everybody, but, but we don't apply this vision of the church to our own lives or, or to all of us. And my second question is kind of related. Like, this image of the church is, is beautiful. This image of, of community is wonderful. Why? Not really why. What holds us back from living into this image together? What does it mean to be the church family? Why aren't we this kind of family in the world today? Who are we? That's our question all month. Who who are we? For those of you who weren't here last week, I I posed this question and said, I want to let this question just really guide us into conversations. I'm going to share some ideas up here, but but my, my hope this month is that that the, the thoughts and the messages will stir us toward conversation, that you'll catch me after services to, to talk, that, that you'll email me with thoughts and the, those things that challenge you or rile you up, you'll, you'll be ready to have a conversation. Our, our circles will have conversation about this. You'll have conversations with each other all around this question, who are we as Clay Church in the world today? Some of you have heard me share portions of a conversation I had I've shared a couple pieces and sermons in the past with a, a kind of a skeptical young guy. He was in his 20s. He had attended a funeral where I had given a funeral homily. And he came up to me after and said, could we meet? You shared some things today, and I'd really like to, I'd really like to talk some more. And I said, sure, abso- absolutely. We sat down, and he shared with me that he uh, was raised in a Buddhist home. His mother was Buddhist. His dad was probably best described as agnostic. Um, not not believing, but but not believing in any one thing, and and he was just searching. He'd he'd read a little bit of the Bible, but in in his words, he'd always found church people that he talked to kind of self righteous and judgmental, and um, and so he he hadn't really engaged. But he said in in my funeral homily that day, I guess thanks be to God that that he heard it an invitational way to think about the love of Jesus and the, and the love of Jesus for all people, and he wanted to hear more about that. So we sat down and we had a number of conversations and I, I gave him my Bibles on CD because he wanted to listen to it and he traveled a lot. And uh, this will tell you that it was 15 or 16 years ago because the Bible was on CD at that point in time, not on your phone. And, uh, um, and so I gave him these CDs and, and invited him to listen to them and I said, you know what, we'll just have a conversation. We set a conversation every couple weeks and we just started talking. And I said, ask any question you want to ask. Well, one week he came in, and, and he'd been reading John's gospel, and he had this question. And he, he dove right in. He said, I've read about Jesus' prayer 
in John's gospel. It's such a beautiful prayer for, for the people. It's the prayer that Jesus says right before he goes to the cross. And he says, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. And he said, so I don't understand denominations. <laughs> he said, if this is the prayer, then, then why are there denominations in the world? And as any good pastor, I looked across the table at him and I said, it's a good question. And then, then he said, it's like the church today seems pretty far from the vision of Jesus. And I looked across the table at him and I said, ouch. <laughs> Some truth in that. How would you have answered him? I didn't have a great answer then, and I, I'm not even sure I have a really good answer today. This young man, right, he was a mirror for us as the church. He was reflecting back what he sees. And in that reflection is a church divided. And I probably said something like this to him, and I think there's some real truth in this. There are different denominational expressions today. There is some healthiness in denominational expression because we, we worship and we use our gifts in different ways in the world, and communities sometimes gather around those different expressions of, of ways to worship God and ways to be the church in the world. There is some, some goodness, some, some truth in that denominational diversity that allows us to, to connect and use our gifts in, in certain ways. At the same time, the mirror that that young man held up and one that I've had held up again, particularly in the last two years, invites us, I think, to see something else. It invites us to see a church divided and in that division, not representing who Christ is to the world. Right? Some people have decided that, that their way is, is right. And if everybody doesn't agree with them, then they're going to they're gonna break relationships. They can't stay in relationship with people who don't think the same way that they do. Is this, is this who we are? Sometimes when churches change, make some changes because the, the mission of the church is to reach more people, to walk with more people. And, and sometimes that means changing, to reach more people. And, and there are times when people, as those changes happen, they, they say, I, I don't like the preaching anymore. I don't, I don't like the music anymore. And so I can't be a part of those relationships anymore. Personal preferences become the most important thing instead of, instead of the mission. Is this who we are. Or maybe a, a better question is, is this who God calls us to be as the church in the world? Now, I don't know about you, but everything within me screams, no, this is not who I want us to be. This is not who God calls us to be. Right? Is, the, is the quality of preaching or the music style or everyone believing the exact same things that I do? Are any of those more important than relationships grounded in the love of Jesus? 
I want the answer to be no. What about you? But if the answer is going to be no, or as the answer needs to be no, we have to answer this question about what does it look like to be the church in the midst of divisions and differences in the world today? Because I can guarantee that all of us sitting here today in this room, we don't all see the world the same way. We, we probably represent different understandings of some scriptures. We certainly represent a diversity of the theological spectrum. So how is it that we live as the church unified and in a world where, where we acknowledge that there are differences? Who does, who does God call us to be as a family in the church today? I have some good news. We're not the first to ask that question. In fact, we're not nearly the first. If you look at, um, if you look at the, the scriptures, you might find it fascinating. I find it fascinating that Nearly 2,000 years ago, right, the church plants, we see this beautiful vision of the, the unified church in the book of Acts. And within 100 years, we can look at Rome and we can look at Corinth and we can look at Paul's letters and we realize that the church was already struggling with divisions, with differences, and how to find their identity within those differences. Last week, we talked about Jews and, and Gentiles in Rome and, and how they were struggling with their identity and, and what we could learn about who we are from those writings of Paul. Today, I want us to take a, a brief look at the church in Corinth. And uh, it might help to, to know a little bit about Corinth. Corinth was, was another church that was, was divided. But it, why it was divided might, might help us understand. Corinth was a uh, major port city in the Greco-Roman world. Think of it as a, as a metropolitan area where people came through on travel routes from all over, the, all over the, the empire. And they all passed through Corinth, which also became a center of cultic practice. When I was there, our guide said something to the effect that uh, it, you, you can throw a rock and hit a god of every temple in the Greco-Roman world from this spot in Corinth then told us not to throw rocks. But, but that's how many, how many different gods had pagan temples in this, in this city, right? So the new followers of Jesus who were in Corinth came from this melting pot of ideas and culture and religious practices, right? All different kinds of people coming to know this love of Jesus and then figuring out what it meant to be part of the church. There were social differences. There were economic, rich, and poor people in this church. There were cultural differences. I find it kind of fascinating to, to think today as, as we think about sort of how cosmopolitan the world has come. Like we, we talk about how the internet has just opened, opened us and our children up to ideas from all over the world, this melting pot of ideas how Corinth in its day was, was this melting pot of, of ideas. It's wrestling with what it meant to be the church in the midst of this culture it was true then as it is today. And Paul, Paul had planted the church in Corinth. And he heard about the divisions. And so he wrote them a letter. Right? He couldn't get there right away. And so, so he wrote them a letter. Think of the email of today. And... Uh, and in this letter, we're going to take a look. In, in 1 Corinthians, 
chapter 1, verse 10. If you want to follow along through Corinthians today, we're going to start right there, 1 Corinthians 1, 10. He, he does what he always does, like he says pleasantries. Hi, it's great to see you. I'm thankful for you. All, all that kind of nice stuff. And then in Corinth, he does not miss a beat. He's going to get to the point. And he says this in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Is Christ divided? It's a great question. It's the question that young man was really asking me as he looked at the denominations. Is Christ divided? That's what he saw in the church of the, of the day. Does it sound familiar to us? Different teachers teaching different things and the, and the church deciding this is most important or this is most important and this is most important and dividing over those, over those other things. It's like denominations were already forming, right? And notice how Paul refers to the church. He says, he says to them, in the midst of these divisions, he starts, brothers and sisters... He says, church family, I have something to share. So what does it mean to be church family? Well, Paul, Paul's going to unpack this. And let me just say now, um, I'm not going to unpack all of 1 Corinthians today. It's a beautiful letter. It's worth reading all the way through. Um, if, if I thought that anyone here was up for, uh, you know, four to six hours of preaching on Corinthians, I took a seminary class in Greek on 1 Corinthians, so we could just like spend four to six hours and go verse by verse all the way through in Greek if you wanted. Anybody in? All right, seeing no hand. Actually, somebody in first service said, I wanted to do the four to six hours. I was like, oh, sorry. I, I didn't think anybody wanted to do that. But so instead of doing that, we're going we're gonna to take kind of a, a quick look specifically at, at how Paul addresses divisions in the church and what he says about who the church is as God's family. So a little bit later in the letter, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. You yourselves are God's temple. And it's worth noting that you is plural. You are not God's temple by yourself. We sometimes mess that up in the church. Now, don't hear me wrong. What you put in your body, what you, how you treat your body, um, as, as your body is part of God's creation, that, that matters. But sometimes this verse gets quoted to talk about your, your body is the temple. Paul's going to refer to that later. In this scripture, though, what Paul is saying is that you, plural, are the temple. You, all of Jesus' followers together, are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in you when you are 
unified in the mission of being Christ's body for the world. The caveat to that, right, is when we're, we're not unified, when somebody is breaking that unity, right, they're standing in the way of the Holy Spirit working through that, through that body. When we're not unified, we destroy the very sacredness of the temple that Christ has built in and through us to carry, to carry the presence of Christ into the world. So how do we navigate then if we have differences? How do we, how do we find unity when we disagree? Well, Paul isn't finished. He's going to address several issues that are dividing the church. And we can learn from how he addresses those. We're going to look at one in particular, eating meat sacrificed to idols. So we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is what he says. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do, yet, do not yet know as they ought to know. And then he's going to share a few more details, and he, he wraps up this section by saying, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Paul says, like, some of you are right. You're right. You know that that food that is sacrificed to idols is sacrificed to gods that don't even exist. And so there's nothing wrong with the food. When it, when it comes out of the temple, it's sold in the marketplace and you buy it, you can eat that food. Some of you know that that's okay, and, and that's okay. But, but, Paul says, just because you know you're right doesn't mean that you should eat that food or eating that meat is the right thing to do. Because when you do, you're harming the, face of the faith of others. When you do, you're tearing apart the unity of the community instead of building each other up. Love is more important than knowledge. Love is more important than being right and proving it. Paul says, lead with love. In the midst of your disagreements, your divisions, lead with love. Does that mean that anything goes? Well, the answer is no. Does it mean that sins don't matter? No. Does it mean that we shouldn't address sin or things that hurt others? No. Paul, Paul's going to lay out how the church together can, can address those. What it means is that the relationships come first. Love leads And then he goes on to say this, 1 Corinthians 10. Everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. And a little bit later in these arguments, he says, don't offend either Jews or Greeks or God's church. This is the same thing that I do. I please everyone in everything I do. I don't look out for my own advantage, but I look out for many people 
so that they can be saved. So that they can be saved. This is what unified God's family, looking out for one another so that they would know the love of God and be saved by that love in their lives. Right? Paul has, has spent this chapter continuing to unpack this, this struggle, this division, and, and he says, sure, you can do what you want to do. Sure, you know what is theologically correct, but that isn't, that isn't at its heart what matters the most here. What matters the most here is that you're building each other up and sharing the love of Jesus. What matters the most here is the good of the community. So stop trying to prove that you're right and do what helps people know that they're loved. What matters is that people know that they are loved and by that love of Jesus are saved. We might say it this way, God's family is not defined by those who are right and those who are wrong. God's family is not defined by those who possess knowledge and those who don't, and it's not defined by position or status or gifts. God's family is anchored in relationships and defined by love of one another. God's family is anchored in relationships and defined by love of one another. Paul goes on to say, can I offer one more important teaching? 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul emphasizes that right, God's family is made up of all kinds of different people from all kinds of different walks of life with all kinds of different views and all kinds of different gifts. But they form one body. And there aren't more important members and, and lesser members. Every, every member plays a role in this body. And the body, the body doesn't function as well without all of those people in all of those roles which means to be the body of Christ, we've got to be committed to one another. We've got to be committed to being there for one another. We've got to be committed to, to welcoming one another and helping each other find our gifts. The body only functions when every part is present and contributing. Are we present and contributing? Are we part of the family and, and contributing to it? Or is the church a family we just kind of go to when, when we need something? Who are we as God's family? Right? Because Christ's body, God's, God's family is anchored in relationships, defined by our love of one another, and then strengthened by our commitment, by our participation in it, our presence and willing to show up. This is, this is who God calls us to be as, as God's family. 
And then Paul has one more thing to share. It's really at the heart of this, this body analogy that he uses, all of our gifts coming together. It's a passage that many of you know. Some of you maybe know it by heart. It's a passage that we, we hear at every other wedding we go to. Or someone once said, some pastor I know was counting, he said two out of every three. 1 Corinthians 13. Right? I think sometimes, sometimes I have this picture, I just enjoy it for a moment, of Paul like sitting down at his desk and he's like, okay, I'm going to write a letter. What can I say that will anchor marriages for eternity? That they'll just keep reading at every marriage. Right? But the truth is, that's not what he was doing. He was sitting down at a desk. Actually, he's probably dictating it to somebody who was writing it down for him. But, uh, but he was sitting down and he was writing what a commitment to be the family of Christ looked like for eternity. That's what he was writing. Marriage is a great extension of that. But he was writing to you and I and, and to churches. And this is what he said at the heart of it all. He said, I've, I've taught you all kinds of other things, but here... Here is what will unify you. This is the greatest gift, love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I love in, in some translations, it says love bears all things. In the midst of our divisions, in the midst of the challenges, right, Paul says, anchor yourselves in the love of Jesus because the love of Jesus bears all things. The love of Jesus will see you through all things. A love that is, that is patient and kind and not self-seeking and sacrificial like Jesus will see you to the unity that you need to be Jesus in the world. Who are we? Like we are one body, the family of God, anchored in this love of Jesus. Which maybe just takes us back to Acts chapter 2. Like, like, is this the church we are called to be? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They came across, across lines, across their differences, and they just gathered at tables, and they got to know each other, and they shared in meals and fellowship. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles because they opened themselves up to what God was doing, and they were making this difference in the world, and people were amazed at that. And all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It wasn't about themselves. It wasn't about their 401k plans anymore. It was about a community where everybody was cared for and provided for, and, and everybody was part of it. Nobody had needs, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were committed to this. They were committed to being part of this community because they knew how the world could be transformed by it and they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved notice what isn't here for just a moment the church family isn't political trying to influence the laws of the empire the church family here isn't the moral police making sure everyone lives by the laws of the Bible. 
the church as a family eating together, learning together, watching God do amazing things through them and making sure that everybody is cared for. That's where it all begins. Who are we? We're the, we're the family of Jesus, anchored in relationships and defined by love and strengthened by our commitment to one another. And when we live that out, right, we realize relationships, they matter to us. We empower each other. We're willing to be accountable to each other. We, we have fun together. We, we love each other. So here's the invitation this morning. Let's be that church. Like, let's commit right now today to, to anchoring ourselves in that kind of love of Jesus that brings us together, where our differences will fade into the background because God is doing such amazing things through Clay Church. That's what makes a difference, and that's what matters. And we're not going to see everything the same way, and that's okay. And we're going to make mistakes sometimes. I said last week we're a mess, and, and that's where Jesus meets us. Jesus meets us in the mess. But let's be so anchored in the, in the love of Jesus that, that Jesus entered into those, enters into those messes through us and makes a difference in the lives, first of us, and then all those that we encounter. Let's be, let's be that kind of faith community. And let me invite you just to take a, a really small first step this week. Every week at Clay Church we have our Faith Fit Challenge. And, uh, and this is a, a small step in that. But let me just invite you to send a note of encouragement to someone in, in your church family. Anybody, just send a note of, of encouragement that encourages another brother or sister in Christ. Now, one caveat, don't send it to me. Um, I am very much supported and encouraged. Send a, send a note to somebody sharing this word, a word of encouragement with someone else. When, uh, when we baptize somebody at Clay Church, I say to, to you, to, to our community, to our congregation, I commend to you this person who is joining our family, and I name them, who we this day recognize as a member of the family of God. Will you nurture him or her in the Christian faith and life? And include him or her in your care. We welcome everybody who is baptized into family, anchored in the love of Jesus. So what does it mean to you to be part of the family of God? I pray that God may invite us to take that question with us and not just think about it but live in to the answer amen